0: Hey, it's Jeff here. After working as an automotive tech for almost 25 years, I can honestly say that finding employment with the right shop has been the difference maker between loving what I do every day or hating my career choice. Let me tell you, I've been there. But I've also had jobs where work didn't really feel like work. I love the challenge of fixing cars. So loving what I do, that's the easy part. Finding a good place to do it in, now that's been the struggle. And that's where my friends at Promotive knock it out of the park. They're a recruitment company specializing in jobs for our automotive industry. A techs, B techs, master techs, service advisors, managers, you name it. They are constantly looking for applicants in automotive to link them with available job postings at only the best vested shops around the country. Promotive has a team of professional recruiters that can help you with your resume, prep you for the interview process, and negotiate the best pay and benefits package for you. And best of all, it's free to anyone looking to gain employment. Check them out at GoPromotive.com slash Jeff. GoPromotive.com slash Jeff. Just think, you could be just five minutes away from finding your dream job.
1: And I just lost all the respect I had for that shop owner right then and there. When I told him I had to go to a baby shower, he goes, "Man, just let your wife go." That's what he tells me. When I bought a scope, he's like, "What do you need that for?" Like for everything. He had an answer. It was, "Hey, okay, man, business first, work first, nothing else." I used to drive almost an hour and a half to and from to get to that job, and for him, it's nothing. It's nothing. It was very it's just taken for granted at that point, and it showed. He's the same guy that told me, "You're nothing special." Could ask for a raise. He's like, "What? What, are you, what, are you, what more do you want? You're nothing special." I'm like, "Okay, I'll go find more." I got a kid on the way.
0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another exciting, thought-provoking episode of the jaded Mechanic Podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey of reflection and insight into the toils and triumphs of a career in automotive repair. After more than twenty years of skin, knuckles, and tool debt, I want to share my perspectives and hear other people's thoughts about our industry. Support so yourself a strong coffee or grab a cold Canadian beer. And get ready for some great conversation. Welcome back to another episode of the Jada Mechanic Podcast. It is a hot one here. And uh, with my guest tonight. It's hot where he is too. I am with the very famous, very respected Mario Rojas of Super Mario Diagnostics. So. Mario, how are you tonight, man? I'm doing great. Uh
1: thanks for having me. Uh I'm pretty honored to have uh, to be on your show. It's been a good listen so far.
0: The the honor's all mine. And I got to thank you because um what got me kicked off into doing this is you did the you did an episode for Asog way back when. You know, you recorded with Lucas the first him. time? <laughs> yeah, the first one. And when I heard you, I'm like, "Well, shit. I want to hear, you know, like I want to I want to I have a, not a rebuttal, but I mean, I had a per- different perspective. Right. And then it was like, it just, I mean, look at where we are now. Right. I mean, we met last year at AST and i am you know, I've known you a long, I don't want to say a long time, but a few years. Right. And, um, yeah. so to see, to watch where you're gone, where you've gone has been really cool. And, um, like I said, AST is coming up now. You're going to AST. I'm going to AST. What are you? What are you doing when you're there? Because it's—I've heard it's going to be a pretty big thing.
1: It's always big, and that's what I love about it. It's—it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm actually taking no technical classes this time. I'm taking all business classes, right? Because right. <laughs> it's not to take away from the technical, but I feel like it can it can definitely help. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I took actually a couple of business classes the last time I went and, um, kind of opened the door to, to, you know, broaden my horizons a bit, but yeah, I plan on learning a lot and, uh, meeting new people and also getting back together with, uh, with the, the friends I've made throughout the years already. Yeah. it's going to be very cool. And I, I'm, I can't wait. I can't believe it's already less than 20 days away.
0: I know <laughs> well, 21 days away. Oh, the The year went so fast, right? Because I mean, for me, it wasn't long after I got back that I started this, this podcast. And then it's just been a blur after that. Like, it literally seems like, you know, go to work every day and then come home and, and try to do, you know, keep doing my work online in terms of who I follow and, you know, watch this person's video and that person's video and stuff like that. Like I hardly watch TV anymore. Right. I just watch online creators, YouTube. And then it's when the podcast started rolling, like you and I were just talking before we got online, the <laughs> the The time that you have to dedicate to that. I, I said to you last year, and I, you know, because I'd seen you like the last couple of times you'd been AST, you just recorded live with a couple of people. Like you sat down and interviewed with Paul and some other people. And I thought, that doesn't look all that hard. And then when I started <laughs> to see, right, what, what goes into doing the online stuff, I was like, how does Mario find the time to do it? Right? Like he's just, you know, so, but, so you're taking classes. Are you doing anything else when you're there? So I was planning
1: on filming it too. Uh I usually do. Yeah. And, uh, but I haven't come up with any questions yet. Maybe we should come up with some questions. huh?
0: We could, you know, honestly, and we could do that because I mean, I'm sure your phone blows up all the time and mine does too. And it's a lot of people that are like, are you going to AST? Like, you know, and everybody's just like, okay, I want to sit down and, and, you know, and, and talk to you for a few minutes. And it's like, so for me, when I go this time, I'm not enrolled in any classes. I'm, I'm going to kind of be just going around like a, from what I understand, like a, almost like a press junket and uh, pop (laughs) in on a couple classes, listen for a few minutes. Right. Maybe do a little bit of filming that way. And then a lot of it is just going to be booking, booking interviews and, and recording a bunch of episodes because it's so much, I think it's going to be so much better when people are in the same room recording versus uh, and people are obviously, you know what it's like to walk around AST or any of the shows, people are just like in a good mood, right? You're away from the shop. It's kind of like, you know, people are excited They're You're, you're on that euphoric high of, you know, you're doing what you absolutely love to do. And I I think that's really going to bring another aspect to this. That's really cool. So, I mean, you always are, you're way ahead because you always have like a, you know, a good question for the people. And, um, you know, me, I just kind of sit down and it's like, okay, so, you know, tell me your backstory. Well,
1: that that takes talent too. I mean, uh, to just sit down and wing it, it's not an easy task either.
0: Yeah. So, I, to just I don't,
1: pop out conversations uh, out of nowhere, it's not easy.
0: No, Well, and because you know how sometimes it can be, right? Like it, you see the groups and. And you, you see the different po- topics that pop up. And I, I find, do you, like, are you somebody that writes down a bunch of notes? Like, I know you we were talking before we got on about you, different things at work when you're doing something, you'll write the process down. But for me, like, I'm kind of like, I do it like a songwriters, I guess, do when an idea pops in my head, I write it in a notebook. Right. And then when, yeah. I, when I when I sit down to think about doing a podcast, I look at that idea that I wrote down and then I normally jot down a name next to that idea and then I think about talking to that person right so far it's been and I mean you've been listening and that's great there's been so many people that just want to talk about what they went through in this industry or what they're going through right that I mean there's no shortage of people that want to get out there and kind of unburden. right tell what they what they how they got into this what made them want to fix cars and then you know the, the pluses and the minuses, right? Like Cody just, his dropped on Tuesday. We are just talking about that. And, you know, his is a great backstory because it resonates with so many people, you know, and he's such a well-respected ref- figure, same as yourself. Like, and I, like most of the people I end up talking to now, a lot of them, they're younger than me, you know? So it's like, that's kind of cool that I'm, The older person that's talking to these young people, because it makes me feel really good when I talk to somebody that's like got a much more optimistic outlook about the industry, say, in their late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, whatever, than what I did. Because in 10 years ago, like this industry had me really bummed. And, um, you know, so it's, it's nice to see that the younger people that are coming up, if they can skip all that that I went through, it's a good thing, you know. So how did you, um, definitely like, I know, did you, I want to say, here's what I know about Mario. Did you, you bought an old motorcycle or something at one point and that's kind of how you started. Is that, is that true or is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I got me a, uh, 2000, yeah, 2000 Jigsaw 750. Okay. And it was, it was my, my third bike at the time. And. I was I was in love with motorcycles from the beginning. Even now, I love motorcycles more than cars. I I love fixing cars, but don't get me wrong, um, they don't interest me. Uh, I cannot recite horsepower numbers to okay. you. I I just I, it doesn't appeal to me. Right? With motorcycles. I mean, I can't <laughs> recite horsepower numbers for yeah. motorcycles either. But I love them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But that's that's kind of what got it started. Is it's more of a necessity aspect of it all. Um, I the the front uh sprocket so that the chain broke while I was running it while I was riding it and uh the front sprocket got wound up with the chain okay and broke open the crankcase. And uh Oh yeah yeah. Luckily for me, yeah, luckily for me they there was a manual. There was a a, a complete manual. If you go to other brands, they'll tell you go to the dealer. You you look up the the PDF or whatever, yeah, they tell you to take it to the dealer. Right. And uh I mean, I guess some people like that, but I didn't. Uh, and fortunate enough, I uh, had that Jigsaw manual. If you look up a 2000 Jigsaw 750 manual, you'll see every single torque spec, every single process from start to finish. You could rebuild that bike using that manual. And I guess I, I was never into school. I wasn't very academic, uh-huh. academically inclined. Right. But, or I guess I kind of focused more later on uh, yeah. Than I should have, and I guess that paid off because I I scoured that uh, PDF for six months <laughs> while I saved up to buy the parts that I needed, even the the tools too, the torque wrenches and everything. Right. Because I, I I guess I went crazy with the torque and all that, and uh it just fascinated me. It fascinated me that uh, there was there was all this going on. and This is coming from somebody who didn't really have any kind of uh, textbook knowledge on on automotive or mm-hmm. or uh, mechanic work at all, yeah, uh, so to speak. So,
0: so you weren't, you weren't it fascinated me. You weren't into the car club scene in high school or anything like that, or you know, so many of the. Nah. You hear me <laughs> talk all the time about the. Guy. I was a troublemaker, really. I, eh? I wouldn't have thought that, man. Yeah. Honestly. So, I'm,
1: I was. Yeah, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, and. uh
0: Well, you're a bit of a rock and roller, eh? Right, you're the musician and everything. <laughs> I can see yeah, that. that's true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, I like
1: to play guitar, and I still do.
0: Yeah. So you got the, 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 the motorcycle and then it, yeah. so how, like, how, tell us how you went from kind of rebuilding a bike to working on cars. Cause I mean, you could have went into a bike shop, right? That maybe be. Yeah. Working. And I, I
1: tried, I tried actually. I, uh, <clears throat> so that same bike before I, uh, you know, blew the crankcase wide open, it had charging issues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, took it to a shop and gave them all the dying money that they asked for. And it kept having issues. It kept having charging issues. They rebuilt the stator, they rewound it and everything. And they kept focusing on that. And <clears throat> I said, you know what? I need my bike back. Take the money. I just want my bike back with the problems. I didn't care. like, they, they had it for months and they were, they were a reputable place. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to go bad-mouthing them. They just didn't get this one. And I got I got impatient. You know, I didn't give them the time that they needed. But nonetheless, <clears throat> still had the charging problem. It was a three-phase, you know, motorcycles. With cars, there's alternators, regulators. All that is built into one unit. But motorcycles, it's not like that. They have the regulator outside. Yeah. So there's three wires running from the stator to the regulator. And uh, this is all stuff that I was learning after I diagged it. I'm sorry, after they diagnosed and didn't fix it, I started reading that manual. Right. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't know how to read diagrams, but I understood that it was a three-phase regulated. And uh, so I took it apart. I took apart the body panels and revealed the three wires. I wanted to check the wiring. I wanted to see what was going on. And I could see the three wires were burnt uh, at the connector. It okay. was a connector. It's, yeah. And um, I tried looking for solutions to to replace that connector and I couldn't find the connector itself. And I knew that if I was going to do some kind of rig on there, it was just going to melt again. So I found some heavy duty stuff at radio shack when it existed. Okay. It was awesome. I found a heavy duty connector, but not a connector per se, but it's, it it got the job done and that fixed the, and that fixed it. So, and then I asked for a job and they were like, Oh, we're, we're, we're slammed already. So, I didn't get the job, so then, <clears throat> yeah, I broke <laughs> I broke my bike with the with the chain breaking, and that's when it really because it was it was necessity, but it was necessity like to the extreme because okay. I you know, I wasn't I didn't have like I was I was paying I was getting minimum wage at the time you know I was getting almost nothing, and uh, when that happened I. I rebuilt it, you know, split the crankcase. It has three parts, that had the head, the middle crankcase and the lower crankcase which houses the the gear uh gearbox. And um put it back together and on first gear, it made a noise that it was very cyclical. So <laughs> it started making like a like a tap noise. Right. And I had to op- rip that sucker open again, take it the engine out, rip it open again. It turns out that when the the chain got wound up, mm-hmm. it it made like a torsional kind of pressure against the first gear. Right. And it, it literally, the gears bit into each other. So I had to replace the gears too. Okay. So once I did that, I was rolling around on my bike and uh, started looking for work. I was, you know, getting minimum wage and uh, I was um, I was already in my 20s. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, even though, because I don't know if you're familiar with this, but every public high school that I know of, has to take the tape test, which is the like the military like aptitude test. Okay. Uh basic basically the the military, I forgot which one, I think it's the, the army. They go and they take everyone takes the tape test. And what they do with that test is they find out what you excel in. And funnily enough, they said that I would be a good mechanic. Right. <laughs> which which didn't mean much to me at the time because I did I was like, how can I be a mechanic? I don't know. I don't know anything about mechanics. Yeah. And uh I, I that's something that I'm <clears throat> I wish more people would, would consider. But anyway, once I put it all back together, I was looking for work, I was getting paid minimum wage. At the time I was at that very moment I was already unemployed. And I had bills to pay too. I was already living on my own. Mm-hmm. I was in my I was twenty-three. No. Yeah, twenty-three. I was twenty-three and I Went to winn Dixie, which is like a supermarket. Okay. Looking for work. Yeah, go figure. And then my wife tells me, uh, we were already married at the time. She tells me, why don't you just, you know, you you're good with your hands, you, you bought tools, you you can do this stuff. Why don't you go to a to a, that uh tires place at the uh 10 minutes away? Why don't you go apply there and see what happens? Yeah. So I did. And um <laughs> I walk into my uh, I walk into the shop all confident, like, hey man, I could rebuild engines. <laughs> And uh, the guy's like, yeah? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, well, we'll start you from the beginning. I'm like, all right, let's do it. That's, and that's where I started. I started at Tires Plus in uh, 2013. And uh, really, like, wow. yeah, I could turn bolts. I could tell when something's about to strip and this and that. But I didn't really know much about cars all that much. I was doing brakes on the side at the time,
0: struts. So 10 years ago. 10 years ago, you started your career in a tire yep. store and already yep. look at where you are now. That's uh, uh, that's pretty impressive, dude, really, honestly. So you show, you show up at the tire store, do you ride the bike to the tire store and kind of say like, hey, I rebuilt that? Well, I could walk. <laughs> oh, okay. Just didn't need to take the bike. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because at the time, that bike, the... Um, Oh I I was racing it. Yeah. I was racing it. I was going like 200 miles an hour. Oh, and I blew it. <laughs> yeah, don't tell my wife that though.
0: Oh, I won't. I won't. She may <laughs> never hear this, so it's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I rebuilt it and you know, some time passed by and you know, I raced it, blew it again. I'm like, "Ah, you know what? I'm done with it. I'll move on to another bike when the time comes." And since since I was you know, i was looking for work and and i could walk 10 minutes away that's when she came up with the idea i not to just go to tires plus and and get a job with them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so i did and uh yeah i started from zero oil changes tires galore and uh oh,
0: so no you being n- the flashlight kid yeah <laughs> you never you know you never took a uti course you never took like uh auto shop in high school you just no. started a tire store so how did you how long did it, it took get? Workshop. Yeah. How long did it get before you kind of were realizing, okay, like I kind of have an aptitude for this? Like, did was there anything that kind of like did you have a light bulb moment where you went like an example, maybe something that somebody struggled with that you saw it as pretty easy, you know, or was there a particular job that like, you know, kicked your butt, but it kind of directed you to what you liked to do or where did it show you strength? You know what I mean by those kind of kind of question? Like,
1: yeah, absolutely. For me, it wasn't more like, Oh, um, I think I, I've come to a point where this is easy. I just wanted a clear path. Mm-hmm. And, and once I saw a clear path then I was like, okay, there's a way. And <clears throat> that was when I, uh, did my first Diag and, uh, they just, they. long story short, I did valve covers on a Mitsubishi, and it came back with lean codes. Okay. And they're like, "Hey, you did the valve covers. You got to figure it out." That's what the, that was the thing. They, hey, you're the mechanic. You you figure it out. Yeah. And so they handed me the RO, and uh, it was the end of day, and I I got the classic P zero one seventy one, both banks, both banks lean, and I'm like what are fuel trims?
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then I went home. It was the end of the day. So I went home, studied, found some videos on fuel trims. I'm like, whoa, there's a way to read how much fuel is coming in and it's metered and it, and it's compensated. And it, I'm like, wow, yeah. oh, this is interesting. Yeah. So, and then behavioral um, patterns with the fuel trim numbers, you know, if it's mm-hmm. lean, idle, and it corrects and all that, all that yeah. stuff. It could it could be the math, it could be this, and it could be that. So I went back to work and I started to look at the fuel trims, and uh, it was lean and idle and it corrected with uh, with uh, acceleration. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we didn't have a smoke machine uh, because according to my studies, we had to smoke it. Right. <laughs> we didn't have a smoke machine, and at that time it was like fifteen hundred bucks. The cheapest one was like fifteen hundred bucks at the time. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, you know not not for nothing but they at that shop it was it was not geared towards diag. at this no. point we were just doing a yeah we were just doing a gas can we had codes after so now we have to deal with it it wasn't like oh hey guys i got my check engine light i want you to diagnose this and this and that yeah even though the ma- the master tech at, at that place did diag's, <clears throat> so uh the smoke machine conundrum was uh was pretty much on me uh they didn't tell me hey figure it out or anything. They just said, Hey, we don't have one. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't gonna go buy one, so I made one. I got a, a <laughs> right clean, <y'all>. empty <laughs> paint can yeah. from uh Home Depot. Put an air regulator on there. Yeah. And uh burn some stuff in there. I won't mention what <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's get to cardboard. <laughs> yeah, uh, at the at the time I didn't really know baby oil, mineral oil, this and that. Uh, I just burned cardboard. I need smoke. I don't care what it is. Yeah. I need smoke. And uh, it turns out the EGR gasket was leaking, and uh, at the time we couldn't source one, so I won't go much further than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got it figured out, and that's when you know they they congratulated me. You know they they it was well received. You know they're like, "Hey man, that's that's what technicians do." Right, and and that's when I was like, "Yeah, maybe there's a way to to actually diagnose these things instead of just." Hey, what do I do? I got fuel trim codes. It's lean. And right. what does that mean? Is it a fuel pump? Is it this? So once I saw that there was a way, just a clear path, I wanted to stay on that path. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be, hey, I found this gravy that I could just stick to for the rest of my life. Not, nothing wrong with that. If, that. if that's what you want to do, yeah, yeah. that's great. A lot of people make a great living doing that. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> all I wanted was just a light at the end of the tunnel where I could just, see clearly forward through you know don't even get me started when i first realized that you can visually see electricity with a scope yeah that blew my mind (laughs) once i saw that i was like oh my goodness
0: yeah so i can see electricity when (laughs) when you started talking about these videos is that that about when you found paul danner yeah yeah yeah
1: so his his that's so once that diag took over you know you get it's like coming back from a training event you're like let's do this let's go yeah but uh scanner danner's videos were more of uh like the the he's the one that i saw when i was like oh 50 reference i'm like 50 reference what's that Mm -hmm. that's when things started kick off with scanner danner videos once i started doing that diagram like maybe this is what i want to do maybe i want to find out what's wrong with these cars instead of you know yeah doing you know, service on them 24-7. Uh, that's just something that clicked inside of me. I was just like, I want to start actually diagnosing, troubleshooting these things.
0: Challenging yourself.
1: Yeah. So I uh, hit hit the YouTube and uh, found Scanner Danner, and then I just, like, watched as much as I could. And the thing about Scanner Danner is that um, his newer videos are a different flavor, I would say, because he has his cameraman. He has, like, a whole whole thing going on. But back then it was all classes and it was all hands-on classes too. Like he had the car nearby and asking students. And the thing about Paul Danner in those days will help me learn um, was it's it's what helps me learn anything. It's repetition. Just, Mm -hmm. just, if you don't, if it doesn't make sense, repeat it over and repeat it again and Google, whatever word you don't know. When somebody said induction, when somebody said uh, current ramps, when somebody said bias, uh voltage drop. I just Google it. What's voltage drop? What's bias? What's uh, anything? Anything I didn't know, I would just Google it, and then I would watch it again, and then Google whatever I didn't know, watch it again, and then build on top of that.
0: Till they start time. making so, more and more sense, right? Like you start yeah, exactly to, to go yeah. into more and more of his videos without having to di- without having to Google. Like that's that's how I found him. I think I probably found him about the same time you probably did, and I can remember the old videos where he was at like Latour's. Right. And he'd be, you know, with like a, a camera on a tripod. Right. And he would be almost doing it like live. And I remember his classroom stuff, too. Yeah. his classroom stuff was great, but I really got Jones down the, on the, you know, he's called out to the other shop, right. He's at Latour's and, you know, he's the car sitting there and it doesn't start or it doesn't run. And he's, you know, he's got a test light and, you know, a scan tool and he's, he's getting to the, to the, to the problem, he's doing the diag within an hour, and I'm like, I've had cars like yeah. that where it's taken me, you know, a morning to get to where he got in 25 minutes. Like, how do I learn this this magic? Right? Yeah, he's he's such a cool dude. He's so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when to come to, AST, yes. yeah, to come to AST last year and sit with you guys like him and and Corey from uh, Staten Island and and Brian and and yourself and just be like, I was, I said it, but I was, I was just dumbfounded to be sitting there, you know what I mean? With like these, you know, visionaries of the, of the the industry in in terms of what they've done in, 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 you know, sharing so much that they shared. I was just like gobsmacked. I was just beside myself with that. And he's such a humble dude, right? Like he's so, You know. Yeah, definitely. You know. So when you, at the tire shop, you kind of start to to push yourself. How does, like, how does that work for, were you flat rate? Were you straight time? Were you on a kind of a bonus system? Like. So I didn't have any
1: certifications at first. I was um, base plus salary. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Base plus uh, commission. Okay. Uh, yeah, certain percentage and whatnot. Actually, the whole time I was there, it was like that. It's just, you know, the numbers grow as you get certified and whatnot. But I never fully became a diag tech in that shop. It took me leaving there to become more okay. of a diag tech, so to speak.
0: And when you say certified, you were going to your ASEs? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they were paying like, at the time, I think 450 per cert. Okay. So wow. I was like, it's free money. Go get it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Go take a test, learn it. And and don't get me wrong. I know there's a lot of people who say, ah, oh, he's a test taker, this and that. I think that's BS. If you don't know the material, you don't know the material, period. So I
0: agree. I agree.
1: So f- I did fail them some a couple of times. I I you know the hard one for me at the time because remember I didn't know Squat. The HVAC. The wow. HVAC got me.
0: Dude, yeah. I'm I'm I still I'm terrible at it too. Honestly, I really am. I uh, <laughs> if you put a set of gauges up in front of me and it's like, what does this mean? I'd be like, it means it ain't working. <laughs> That's all I can. Because <laughs> I got a full I mean, screen. at the time I was, you know,
1: yeah. At the, at the time I was so fascinated with the system that I didn't really focus on learning it. Like I was like blown away by the system itself. I, I couldn't believe that this is how it worked. Mm-hmm and uh, i guess i guess i let that cloud me a bit yeah but then i started learning the electrical cuz hvac and electrical for ASEs kind of uh overlap in a way right you know you kind of have to have some electrical background in order to <laughs> successfully diagnose hvac problems so and believe it or not the, the easiest one for me was the electrical one okay. so once i once i got that confidence i went back and did the hvac and um this was when i was like already 2 years into the into the industry, mm-hmm. so,
2: <clears throat>
1: and I'm still changing oil. So I was trying to get ahead. I wasn't doing it first and then taking the test. So I was I was kind of trying to preemptively get ahead. Yeah, here, which is which is what I tend to do anyway. Because I get people who ask me, "Hey, how do how do you learn the scope? This and that." Before I bought the scope, I studied it. Mm-hmm. before i fixed my motorcycle i studied the manual right i studied 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 before i get the actual tool so that when the tool arrives i can maximize it you know yeah and you know, that, doesn't, that doesn't always work out but i try my best to do that and it, it seems to be working
0: so did you find that that store would you say then it was pretty supportive of you or did you find it was an obstacle for for where you wanted to go
1: well that that changes with perspective because <clears throat> it's it's in the mind when you're starting out, you'll take anything, right? You'll take anything you could get, and everything is a blessing, everything is amazing. And then you start to grow and you start to if you if you have the that that reflection of well, if I'm growing, I should you know charge my worth then. It starts to outbalance it starts to outweigh th- that feeling you got when you first got the job, right. right So you first get the job, everything's beautiful, it's honeymoon, it's hard work, but it's great and you're learning something and you're gonna make a career out of it. But once you get to a point where you feel like it's th- there's more right. and you don't you, you start to have doubts as to whether you're, where you're at is the place mm-hmm. to get more. And to learn more, then it outweighs all that feeling you had at the beginning, yeah. you know. So once you outgrow a shop, you have to decide, yeah. hey, am I am I choking myself by staying here or is there anything better out yeah. there? We don't know, yeah. you know. It, there's a lot going through a tech's mind when they come to, at that crossroads where they feel that they could either be valued more elsewhere or become more valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a hard choice to make. Like uh, these guys got me started; they taught me, they took me to my first electrical class. They did this and that, but at the same time, I want to be a diet tech.
0: Yeah, and and sometimes so, the business model that you're in in the shop isn't necessarily like they're not intending to hold you back, right? It's just it's. I mean, right. it's a tire store, right? Their predominant main focus, first and foremost, is is still to operate as that. And I operated in one. Exactly. I I worked in one and and it was, I can still remember that the owner of the store, like, you know, because we would do, we would bring in anything and uh, they had a very good reputation of being able to be not just a tire store, but like, you know, we had some Europeans that would come in European cars and, you know, we'd work on them. And I can remember some of them Mm -hmm. being like, they just kick your tail because back then a snap ons tool on a, on a BMW or a Mercedes was not very, you know, it had holes. And uh, I can still remember the owner of the store saying, I wish we never booked these kind of cars in. He said, I just wish that we only stuck to doing tires. And I'm standing there thinking, like, you've been in business 30 years and no one is not just a tire store, even though the name is, you know, Fielding Tire. Yeah. It was such a a statement for him to say. but And I understood where he was coming from. It was just because – 80% of them were relatively easy, but it was the 20% that were like really challenging that made him wish that they'd never booked that car in, right? That they just stuck to doing what they did. It was always a funny, it was such a funny perspective for me because I'm sitting there going, we probably made twice as much money last month because we could do both, right? Tires and so, you know, Diag and all that kind of stuff. And yet you wish that we only did tires. Like he saw that the, all the other work as just an obstacle to being able to do. More. Right.
1: lost opportunity yeah.
0: cost. Right. And I don't know. I, I think that we sometimes in the industry, both the, 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 shop owners and the employees, we get stuck. Like you said, in a rut where you see yourself and you're like, because I know I did it. I spent so many years in a dealer because you get familiar with the product right? You, it becomes routine. You kind of know what to look for. You get really familiar with the service information system. You get really familiar with the OE scan tool and you become comfortable. And then it just becomes Mm -hmm. a situation of like, it becomes a game of how many hours do I produce? Right. How do I, and then that's a whole other thing. And then you get there and pretty soon you're like, this is all just boring. Like I'm not getting challenged. And when I do get challenged, it financially really hurts. Right. You get a really tough diet car like I mean I'd have brand new stuff that had like ABS lights on and or airbag faults and you'd go in and it was pin fitment issues. Or I remember I had a I had a side curtain on a Grand Cherokee that when they crimped the terminal onto the end of the wire to go into the airbag, they never stripped the insulation back. So it made the connection and it crimped. Like it did but it didn't make the connection. You know what I mean? And I was just like that's a brand new car. Like it didn't have it didn't have a thousand miles on it. Literally didn't have 500 miles on it. It never left the lot. And I'm sitting here going, how can this happen? Right? So you spend all this time and you fix the car. You know, by the time you get into taking a headliner down, getting the, the, the airbag, you lose your butt and you're like, that sucks.
1: But at least it broke. I never understood I never understood why technicians should be made responsible for the defects of of the manufacturing process. I don't get that.
0: Yeah. and Why? Well, and you got to remember, like, if you talk to, you know, if you talk to, like, a field service engineer that comes down from the OEs or you talk to, you know, when you go on to train, I can remember going to training for Chrysler and and the guy telling me, you know, because you'd say, well, this job sucked and the the diag was this and that, and he'd go, he'd remind us. Nowhere does the OE tell the manufacturer that they have to pay you guys flat rate. That's not stated anywhere that that's how you have to be paid. It is every dealership's choice or most of them to choose to pay that way. Right. And that's something that really sunk with me because it's like, well, then if the OE just wants the car fixed properly and they give me everything that it takes that I should need to fix it properly and I fix it properly. And I don't get paid for my time. I don't hate the product then. You know what I mean? I hate the person that's not right. paying me or the the money machine or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, it never made sense to me either, Mario. And and why did I do it so long? Because, you know, you, you know how it is. You get those jobs where y- you do the time and like you're, you're cutting the warranty time in half. And then when they're coming in in retail, it's like you're essentially you're 400% efficient on that one job. You do a couple of them. And all of a sudden, if you get a Diag and the most you get is like your time covered, you go, ah, well, it still comes out in the wash. And then the problem being is that the more Diag that they start to give you, there's less of that other work. The more you, the more you take,
1: the more you have to take.
0: Yeah. Because it's like, I got, you know, I mean, I'm no wizard, but I mean, I got known as the guy in the dealership that, was got drunk on the challenge of it. Right. I didn't, I had an ego about trying to solve this stuff. Same as you. And then, you know, people in this industry know it, the more you get at it, the more they give to you to do until that's all you're doing pretty soon. And you're the go-to guy for that in the shop. And then, you know, the compensation financially can take a real change. You can watch a guy over there, you know, he did, six rack and pinions you know in two days there's 30 hours right and you've been on two yeah. diags for two days and you haven't made eight hours yet you know this is the problem that was always in the dealerships it was like we watched how certain guys because i worked with a lot of smart guys but they would do diag work at home on the side but they didn't do it at work because they're like nope i watch what you do and there's no way i would do that you know so
1: right the system has not incentivized them to take that take on that kind of work yeah so, and I'm not knocking flat rate if you want to do flat rate that's cool but you know no it doesn't really incentivize somebody to take on the hard ones yeah you know I don't see the incentive yeah
0: no it's it's not I mean it's I'd be a hypocrite if I said that you know flat rate is a terrible thing because I mean it, it's worked. I've made a lot of money doing it in the past. It just always have to add in when I'm, when we're having that conversation about that, that it, I made a lot of that money on work that wasn't Diag. Right. If I was a straight right. Diag yeah. tech in the shop, I would, if, if I could go back and they said, okay, you're only going to do Diag in the dealership. I'd be like, I, I need a salary case closed. Let's see. Yeah. If you
1: want me to do Diag, yeah. give me compensation. If you want me to bang out stuff. All right. You know, give me flat rate. Mm-hmm.
0: So if how, you're
1: going to give me flat rate, then give me bangers. Give me, give me the sole jobs.
0: So how did you, there's no incentive. Sorry. How did ahead. you move on from the, from the tire store?
1: Oh man. That's a, that's kind of a, that was a rough one. Was it? So I got injured. Yeah. I got injured on the job and, um, it wasn't well received. Right. You know, this, this industry can be very harsh to, to the injured and to the, the older ones to the to the ones who get slower, and don't have a way to mitigate the the the, the losses of production. So <clears throat> you know because when you get older or when you get injured, you can't physically bang out the work. Yeah. So what else are you gonna supplement that with? Is it gonna be you know like electrical? Is it gonna be programming? Is it gonna be a mentor sh- a mentor type position? So. At the time, I got injured. My hand got injured, and I couldn't do anything. Uh, so they put me in the front. I learned the front. Started learning all the uh, you know, customer stuff, the uh, selling the jobs, right. pricing out the jobs, purchase orders, your accounts receivable, payable, all that stuff. And uh, I got that experience doing that right. with my middle finger sticking out. And I say that because my middle finger was injured. I had to I had to wear a a stint. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had to hold it up like this. I was literally going like this oh. to everyone, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't really well received, uh, and you know there was rumors and, and all that, and um, from like upper management. And I'm not going to go too crazy into detail because no, yeah. right now I, I, you know, I just it doesn't really benefit anybody no. but it drove me away it drove me away and um when when something when a particular event happened i was already on on the lookout i you know i was like okay i got to move on from here yeah so i started looking i started looking elsewhere and i found something the same day mm-hmm. and yes i was injured but i was going through physical therapy and when this the event that drove me away was coming up I had, a, had I heard rumors. I had a feeling about it until it finally happened. And as I was hearing the rumors and all that, it was about two weeks time. I was pushing through that physical therapy hard. Yeah. Hard. I'm like, screw it. They told me I would never be able to make a fist again. Really? And, uh, it got to me. Yeah. I'm like, I can't do that. That's, that's, that's my livelihood. If I can't do that, I'm done here. You know? And, um, <clears throat> I pushed through that physical therapy through all that, through the pain. It hurt like hell. But eventually on the day that the event happened, I could make a closed fist mm-hmm. with everything I had. I could, I could fully, you know, I could, I could carry, I could push. Yeah. I, I didn't have to worry about hitting it. Of course it still hurt, but I was ready. I was ready to use my hands again and they couldn't have picked a worse time for, for them to do what they did. So, <clears throat> I moved on, I moved on from there and I went to a diesel place, which, oh, no. you know, I lasted there six months. I didn't like it. No. Yeah. The thing is, it, <laughs> it it wasn't really like diesel drivability or anything like that. It was more aftermarket installations. It was uh, electrical. Okay. You know? Yeah. And uh, they would bring a truck. They would redo the chassis. They would like rebuild the frame, all that stuff. Take everything that was uh, behind it off. They would install there, you know? Uh, their product on it, and then I would install the lighting around yeah. it and any electrical issues that it had. If there was any electrical issue, uh, it just came my way. I got tired of holding my hands up. I was on a creeper yeah. for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, with my hands up against the, the frame. The whole time, my arms black completely Yeah, and my arms dead. Yeah. Every night, every night. And uh, I got tired of it. I said, you know what? I was good at automotive. Maybe I should go back to my first love. <laughs> so I did. Yeah. I left that place. And uh, it's funny because I, I gave my notice and uh, the, the the shop owner goes, oh, man, I was just about to send you out to training. <laughs> and I was like, too little, too late. I mean, why would you wait? Yeah, Why would you wait till like, I'm out the door to do that? Anyway, the deal's done. I said it was nice working here. Uh, I learned a lot, and it's time for me to go back to automotive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was it was more of a comfortable place to be. I didn't have to have my hands up twenty four seven. I could have my hands in a car,
2: yeah,
1: instead of my hands up on a truck. So went back to automotive and uh, went to like a old school shop. Okay, old school. Like I'm talking about all the old the carburetor carbureted cars and all that stuff and uh
0: how did you like that uh,
1: i i I respected the cars but i you know parts availability rust yeah it was like rust buckets 24 7 so (laughs) everything (laughs) and then you know the environment wasn't great either okay the environment wasn't great for me it wasn't conducive to learning you know i couldn't i couldn't get ahead on there. So, yeah. Do
0: you, do you think that's because it was, again. do you think that was because it was older technology or do you think, yes. it was Kind of. so it was the older technology and they're like, you're young and you I m- felt
1: like I took a step back.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Honestly, I did. Yeah, sure. I can, yeah, rebuild a car. So what, uh, now we're dealing with electric cars. Tell me how I was going to get ahead in my career by, I'm sorry. I'm not knocking people who do that, but I, I have a lot of time left. Mm-hmm you know i was already like 3 years or 4 years somewhere about into the industry and i was like am i is this is this what i'm going to do yeah i don't know the parts availability issue the the customers sometimes they're very picky mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's very old school that like i was intrigued by the scopes yeah and i i just didn't see it i didn't see it and um You know, I I hadn't heard much about electric cars at the time, but I felt like there was something that was coming. I felt like a big change was coming, just like, you know, every other big change that that has come across. Yeah. I felt like something was coming and I was falling behind. And when I feel like I'm falling behind in a shop, I just, uh, I just, I become a different person. I'm just like, I can't be here anymore. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: If I'm falling behind, I, I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice. That's fair. So... And also the shop too. I mean, I don't understand the shops that don't care to train their techs.
0: Yeah. Like it's, it's so getting back to the, when you when you, you made it, you know, the guy talking comes out to you and he says, oh, I was just about to send you to training. And we hear once in a while where you'll see a shop owner and he'll pipe up and, or she'll pipe up and they'll say, you know, I don't want to pay. I don't want to train my staff. Because, you know, I get them trained up and then they leave. Right. And, and you, yeah. s- you know, you've seen that old statement that somebody, I can't remember who made the quote, but it's very famous. I saw it way back in IATN, but it's been makes the rounds. And well, what if you, what if I train them and they leave? And they go, what if you don't train them and they stay, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, that's exactly what <laughs> the, the old adage, right? Like, because what, you know, sure. you didn't have any outlay in money for training that they could then take in and jump to the competitor. And, and all of a sudden you're making the competitor a ton of money because you took all this training and took it over there. Yeah. So you have a bunch of texts then that are still behind the curve of what's going on with the technology and stuff because they're not trained. Everything that could become simpler, you're fighting through it. It's, it's not you know, you're not as efficient as you could be on it because everything is a brand new thing. Every challenge is a brand new challenge. Everything is like, how do I have to, I have to learn how this system works before I can even start to troubleshoot it. Where if you go on a training class and you get some familiarity with the system, yes, you still have to refresh yourself, but I mean, you can kind of sit down and go, okay, I know how this system works because I sat through a class on it. Now I have maybe an hour two hours whatever shaved off with that repair <clears throat> time because it's familiar exactly right it's like different types yeah, it's, uh, different types of evap
1: yeah I, I say it too
0: yeah i'm sorry go ahead no it's, it's like different types of you know like how Chrysler did evap versus how you know ford did evap for how you know it, it's different you know people that From come to <laughs> <in>, yes right <laughs> junk or honda like i mean You know, so it's like if you don't have any training on it, you're like, oh, it's another evap fault. And then you're you're sitting there going, they they do what? Natural vacuum? What the blue blazes is that, right? And before you know it, you've got an hour into just kind of learning what makes it different. Well, if you've just been on a course, you kind of go, Oh, I remember that, right? The key the you get your little nuggets, as as John Firm says. You get your little nuggets out of the out of the training course.
1: It brings us back to that question you asked me, do I write notes or do I um, just kind of like listen? I think that before I answer that, you know, I was—I would always say there's, you can learn it the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is in the class. The hard way is in the bay. Yeah. That's where those notes come in. Um, when I took Seth Thorson's class, that was the first Euro class I ever took. Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind. He told me, "Hey, you, this is a field manual. You guys could keep it." He gave us a big old book, and uh, it was about BMW turbo uh, engines. Right. So what I did was, all the stuff that wasn't written in the book, I wrote it down as he said it, so I could just, and then I would make my own index in the front, Mm. so I could just refer back to where. So I don't have to commit it to memory every single yes. thing. I, I'm really, my memory sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd rather, if I can look it up, I'm, I'm just going to look it up. Yeah. And if I can make myself a field manual, I, I encourage everyone who takes training. Uh, if you have a manual in front of you, I get it now. Everyone's going digital now. Mm-hmm. But if you can make a, like a field manual for yourself, if if you get a paper copy, a hard copy, write down all those notes in every single page, everything they say, every TSB, every little nugget and then make an index as you're going page this he mentioned this page this he mentioned this don't forget this and then now that everything's going digital uh what i do is i message it to myself i take pictures of the slides okay and then i message my notes to myself and then i archive that when i get back home per system like first per make model Mm -hmm. and then system and and, and it works out. It, it's just, it just works out. I think everyone should should make some kind of an archive, yeah. so to speak, when it when, comes to training.
0: When we were in Brendan Steckler's class last year, I think you and I were both in that class. And I remember I was sitting there writing as fast as I could in the, in the pages, right. In the, next to where in the, in the thing. And you're, you're back there. I think you, you brought a camera or something, I think. Right. And you were recording the class. <laughs> yeah, and see, like, And I'm <laughs> like, God damn it. He's smart. Like he's, you know, always thinking two steps ahead. So but I'm the same way. I have to write notes as I'm doing it because as I'm sitting in the class, I'm listening to what they're saying, but you know, I I'm reading cause I, I read really fast. So I read really fast and then he says something and I see that what he said is not written there. So then I have to make the note because I feel like yeah. if it's important enough for him to say, it should have been in the book, right? But I've already now read the page. It's not on the page. I, for my own brain, the way it works, I have to write it on that page. And I don't go as far as you do with making an index. That's a great idea. But I'm the same way. I have to take a note. And, yeah, so this year I'm going to be at the back of the class. I'm going to film little bits and pieces of it for, for content. But um, I'm going to try your method for sure because. Yeah, hopefully you get page numbers, though, because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, there's caveats everywhere. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we're, so what was I going to ask you? So when you, you, you left the kind of the old school shop, you know, you got tired of yeah. rust and you got tired of carburetors and stuff like that. Was it mostly like domestic kind of like, can I say it was like a hot rod shop? Not a whole lot of European stuff coming in, right? Not like.
1: Very, very little. And they, they wouldn't let me touch it either. Really? You know, they were, the, like I said, it wasn't conducive to learning. So I, you know, oh, no, no, you can't touch that, man. No, you can't touch that. So I was like, well, what, am, what exactly am I doing? Yeah. And I felt like I was just another cog at that point in the machine and just like, ah, uh, just getting by. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't enough for me. Um, I think you'll find that a lot of successful or great technicians, they want more. And not in a greedy fashion, but they just, they seek more. They, it's, they're not content. As soon as you get complacent and content is that's where you start to fall behind. Yeah. it's And I felt like I was starting to fall behind there.
0: Mm-hmm. So what was next for Mario?
1: I went to a flat rate shop. Oh, <laughs> I had to get whatever I could. I mean, at the time I was just like, so sick of it. And then a friend of mine had told me, Hey, somebody's hiring this and that. And, and at the time, the, the flag, the flat rate uh, wage was agreeable, <laughs> so I went for it, and it was a very, very small shop, very small. I'm talking about like three, four bays, four bays with two techs, um, not including the owner. Uh, the owner would wrench every now and then, but not much. Right. And my my first week there, he, uh, he said, hey, you're the first person I ever hired to make 40 hours. And I was really? working 60 hour weeks. Yeah. I was working 60 hour weeks. And I was like, you know, I had to bust my ass to do it. But I couldn't. I was blown away by what he said, too. I was like, that's how hard it is to make hours there. Yeah. So when I first got there, he just put me on a guarantee instead because he knew I was just going to give it everything I got. Right. Well, eventually he started adding more. And I get it. You're an owner. You want to take a vacation. You want to start stepping away. Mm-hmm. I get it. <clears throat> I started answering phones, I started selling the jobs, then doing them. Yep. Opening the shop, closing the shop. He took a vacation. He took the first vacation he he had in like 27 years. Wow. Cuz I was able to run the shop yep. by myself. And the other tech, you know, just you know, give him the um uh, give him give him whatever you wanted, whatever jobs he wanted. Uh we were both flat rate. And um uh, he started to take away the guarantee while I was picking up phones right. and selling jobs.
0: Because you're not producing hours.
1: And right yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my production uh, dropped, but I was managing the store yeah. in a sense and allowing him. He came late every single day, late every single day, which is not even close to the owner that I, that I work with now. He's the first one there almost yeah. every single day and the last one to leave. And... Not to say that that's what I look for in an right. owner, but it's just oh. a lot about a person. So <clears throat> once he started coming in at like almost freaking lunchtime and then leaving early and stuff, uh, I just like and, – and with the hours, one time he wanted to pay me 13 hours. I was getting nothing but oil changes and trying to sell jobs.
0: 13 hours for a week? Keep the other,
1: yeah, for 60 hours worth of work. I was opening, closing, answering phones, writing it up, everything, everything. I got sick of it. And uh, that's the guy that I mentioned before in the past. He laughed at me when I bought a scope. He's like, What do you need that for? And then the first car I got wouldn't have been fixed without the scope. right? <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it wasn't conducive either to that. Like anytime I whipped out the scope, it was like,
0: you're taking a hazing
1: and all that and i was just like all right yeah laugh what you want but i'm learning here and i'm getting i'm getting pretty damn good at this yeah and uh i just i just stopped mentioning anything to him i just like hey i got this car this is what's wrong with it done and instead of going through the whole process with them all like uh my five volt reference is is sorted or yeah or this this uh pulse width is too thin or too thick for for the uh the tone wheel that it has you know, you know what I'm talking about, the Jeeps,
0: yeah, the crank sure. sensors. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, well, How was he, like, were you able to kind of, did he have a set Diag time or did you, how did that work? Like, cause it was flat rate. So could you kind of look at the job and. He wasn't charging Diag. He w- so if he, he was charging, not charging Diag. not getting paid Diag.
1: Yeah. But at the time I was guaranteed and I was like, okay, we're good. We're guaranteed. And then he started dropping it. And, um. Uh,
0: what a scumbag.
1: When he hit me with the 13 hours, I'm like, I'm not working. I'm not walking away with 13 hours of pay after all the things that I did for you. He's like, "What are you talking about? You're not producing." I'm like, "Yeah, well, you're I'm running I'm the opening the shop. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm opening the shop. When I first got here and I made those 40 hours, I wasn't picking up any phones. I wasn't answering to any customer. I was working and renting all the time and nothing else. And I didn't have to worry about uh this where's this customer's car parked and and where's this where's that uh uh, how much did we quote this customer what did they last say to you or this and that or where did you guys leave off i didn't have to worry about any of that stuff or actually taking in like shop materials and all that stuff and so i gave him my my notice and moved on from there and then that's where i landed to i landed at the shop uh, I was there for years, actually. I was uh, over two years. I mean, it's not much time. I know a lot of people are going to get on my ass about that. Like, ah, oh, this guy is just jumping shots. But you know what? We hear that. Nobody said I had to stay 20 years in a shop. That's I'm going to find what's right for me.
0: That's right. Period. We hear that, eh? You yeah, look out for me. Yeah. All well, those mechanics that, you know, they're they're wearing the wheels right off their toolbox as they move them around so much. And I mean, me as a guy, I know I just moved my box today. We talked about that before I got on. You know. I've, I've had that toolbox over 10 years and I've moved, it's got some miles on it. I've moved it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but there's a reason that they, you know, I mean, the old tired adage, all oh, the toolboxes have wheels for a reason they do because sometimes as, as you've proven, you know, we, we end up in places that are not our forever fit. If there is such a thing as a forever fit. And, um, mm-hmm. I used to hope that there was, and, we were talking about before we started recording, I mentioned to you how my, my garage is built in the back that we just built in m- my backyard. Yeah. That's built by a guy that spent 30 years at one dealership. <clears throat> he started there right yeah. after, literally like the day after high school, he had the job lined wow. up. He walked in there, <laughs> started as a, he was kind of a gearhead. He played around with cars before he graduated high school, but he walked in there and he spent, near 30 years that it was a pontiac gmc dealership here in kingston ontario and um when pontiac closed down right gm stopped they pulled the dealership rights because we had still a chevrolet dealer in town but there was going to be no more pontiac you know dealership so hmm. they decided they're going to stay open as a napa store like a napa i say store but you know what i mean like a napa Service garage
1: repair center, yeah, Yeah,
0: repair center. And it only lasted like 14 months because once the warranty work was gone, they they didn't know how to make enough money on retail work to keep it open. So, between no car sales, with no part sales, and no warranty work coming in anymore because they couldn't do warranty work on a Chevrolet that was still maybe sold. So, all their customers that they'd sold cars to, they couldn't do warranty work on. So all oh. of a sudden the dealership became just this and he, he stuck it out until they closed down. And then he just said, you know what? I'm done. He had, he's got really bad issues with his shoulders and his neck. He gets stingers. So it's the same that you were talking about laying under the truck and having your hands up. I get it too. Mm-hmm. Now I get, he would lose sensation in his hands from being yeah, numb
1: hands all day,
0: all day. So oh. he'd always kind of been very handy And, uh, so he started building houses and went into contracting and now he's got his son working for him as a contractor. So, I mean, it's funny that we talk about, you know, is there such a thing as a forever shop for, for some techs? for some there is, but even when, when he looks back and he talks about it, he has no love for this industry in terms of like, he's like, he doesn't miss it one second, not one, you know, and it's not just about the flat rate because he said well i made good money when there was work right he was a mainline engine yeah. guy he did not do dieg he just did you know so you think about all the chevy v6 front wheel drives that came in with leaky intakes right and the old cavalier two twos the head gaskets and stuff like he did all of those like you know four threes five sevens the camshafts when they used to go flat way back yep. in the day in the small blocks like <laughs> he did all that they still do yeah and <laughs> right so i mean but he looks at it and he goes but I don't miss the job for one second he says what what it did to his body and his hands and everything else so yeah. so i say that you know there's there's no necessarily whatever forever shop and then the guy that came and picked up his flatbed truck and moved my toolbox today he's a former tech as well so wow <laughs> like and and so he's He moved my toolbox for me five years ago when I moved it to where it was, and he moved it for me again today. And, um, you know, it's funny. You just run into people, and you talk to them and all that kind of stuff, and you figure out that, you know, you have some common friends that they've worked together back and forth and all that kind of jazz. But there is a whole lot of people in this that you'll run into in the day-to-day in other facets of life that at one point worked in a shop, were, were a mechanic, you know, and they just, whatever like an injury or, you know, uh, like you had, or just got fed up with it, they go and do something else. But so you wound up at the shop you're at now. No, no, (laughs) not there yet. (laughs) So go ahead.
1: (laughs) So yeah, I've been, I've been around, I've been around town. (laughs) So before I left that flat rate shop, that small shop. Yeah. So my my wife was pregnant, mm-hmm. uh, so that would have to. I think that was around twenty seventeen, right? Right. I was learning to use the scope, and the guy was laughing every time he had a chance, and that's cool. I don't care. I mean, but what really kind of like did it for me was when I was working on a car, and the guys, the customer, I was talking to the customer, and then you know, shop owner wasn't there at the time. He came later. And the customer was still there, but he, we were talking. This was an ex-police officer. I can't remember his name. I wish I did. I wish I could, you know, thank him. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I was working on his car and telling him about, like, oh, I got my kids, this and that. Uh My kid's coming. I mean, you know, my wife's pregnant. And, uh yeah, responsibilities are coming. And uh I was working on his car, and I was telling him about getting more ASCs, this and that. And he was a retired police officer. And he he said a simple statement, but it really stuck with me. And uh, he said, There's prestige in that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And because I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I should get the ASCs and this and that. And he's like, Man, there's prestige in that. And it, it kind of stuck. It, it stuck with me. And he said, um, I, I started talking to him about my baby and this and that. And on the way, and he goes if i could tell you anything cuz i see you work a lot it would be don't be the dad that misses everything right and uh that really that really stuck to me a lot and the shop owner comes in and he sees him talking and hears him talking and shop owner didn't care about anything except for his business yeah. he goes i can't stand that guy he tells me about the about this guy the guy that i suddenly had like a huge amount of respect for and i just lost all the respect i had for for that shop owner right then and there um because when i told him i had to go to a baby shower he goes man just let your wife go that's what he tells me when i bought a scope he's like what do you need that for like for everything he had an answer it was like hey man business first work first this and that you know nothing else I used to drive almost like an hour and a half to and from wow. to get to that job. And for him, it's nothing. It's nothing. You it, know? It didn't it, mean it, it, it. was very, yeah, it's, it's just taken for granted at that point. And it showed, you know, he's the same guy that told me, you're nothing special because I asked for a raise. He's like, what? What, are you, what, are you, what more do you want? You're nothing special. I'm like, okay, I'll go find more. I'll go make more. I got a kid on the way. I'll go make more somewhere else. And so, yeah, I gave up, I gave up my week, my two weeks notice and, uh, (laughs) I'm left that job.
0: I'm just amazed because I mean, like, and this is not me, you know, going all fangirl on you, but I mean, it's hard for me to think that somebody would describe you and we, what we know you to be able to do in this industry and what you've done as nothing special.
1: Right I mean don't get me wrong I was just, I was just learning stuff I mean I'm not saying that I'm anything special no. or anything like that but like for somebody to talk to you like that who, who gives them the right to say something like that to somebody am I am
0: I a dog here First of all and no I, I mean even dogs get more respect than that First of all nobody nobody has the right and I mean I it's it's sickening to think that there's there's shop owners out there that would ever talk to a staff member like let's let's just be real let's think about it right from a standpoint of Outside of our industry, you should never talk to staff that way, period, right? And I'm not, this is not, I'm Talking. not a millennial that's, you know, was wrapped in bubble wrap from the time I was a kid. You know, that's not my generation. Yeah. I didn't grow up like that, right? I grew up with lots of people that, you know, they had nicknames for me when I was coming up, right? And they weren't flattering. <laughs> but I mean, I, I think that part of the progress of this industry is the fact that we don't treat our young people like that anymore. You know, and they're not, everybody is an exceptional, right. But that doesn't mean that they're not something special, you know, that, and if, even if they're not, that's not how you get your people, obviously to want to go to war for you, you know, by saying that to them. Right. Because that's the thing when we, you know, and I, I talk all the time, more people I'm seeing talking, talking, talking about leadership. Right. And what's a true leader and what's a, my friend, Joshua Taylor, he has a podcast. He talks all the time. about an HVL, high value leader. And I didn't understand what that meant until I started to actually really get into it. Right. And leaders lead by an example, a true leader. Yeah. You delegate tasks and you know, you hire people, but a true leader can set the example of this is how I want it done. This is how I want to, how I treat you is how I would expect to be treated in return. That's a leadership quality. Exactly. Right. It's agreed. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's, (laughs) sometimes it's more like we're, we're livestock for these, (laughs) some of these shop owners, right? You're just a, you know, you're just a donkey of back and they whip on you and, you know, expect you to get a certain task done by the end of the day. And that's not leadership. That's, that's dictatorship. And, um, the so two things are very different. It's it's manipulative. Yes.
1: It's that's how I see it. I saw through I saw through it for what it was. It was just a manipulative way for him to get into my mind that I'm probably not gonna get more money anywhere else, which was obviously false. Right. But it's just I feel like it's nothing to do with emotion or with bubble wrapping people or this and that. It's just tactics yes. that they use um and it's more for what it's worth it's more of the old school text because all that old school shop that i went to mm-hmm. this flat rate shop that i went to he was an old school text from the 60s and all that unfortunately they, there's I, I see a pattern and it's you know yeah you know, walk it off this and that and ah oh, you broke your arm walk it off you know that doesn't do anything for anyone no. you know it's just a tactic for them to get you to keep going you know, keep working. Yeah, so you're bleeding. So what? Yeah, just it's it's dumb and it's it's sighted And I'm not falling for that crap anymore. I mean, uh, you hear people say the stories. Ah, oh, people use I used to work twenty six hours a day. What are you complaining about? It's it's all for me. It's just like a way for them to prop themselves up and make us look like we're we're not enough. And maybe that'll motivate us to do more. I don't know but it's not going to get the intended results by talking to someone that way. And it's not like I'm not saying I joke around with my coworkers all the time that we, <laughs> we get on each other all the time. It's just, it's not about that. It's not, it's, it's more about respect, but it's not necessarily about feelings. Mm-hmm. Feelings is the least of it. But when you think, when somebody thinks that they can, get across that line and speak to me a certain way with as much as I, as i have invested into this career right it makes me think why would i invest anymore at where i'm at i i might as well go to somewhere that sees me for my for what i'm worth and and respect that so like you said how am i gonna you know uh um, go to bat for somebody that is expecting you to fail or every time you Every time you screw up, they, you know, they stomp on you while you're down. They kick you while you're down. doesn't make any sense. How, how, you, how do you run a successful business by, by those kind of tactics? Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see it.
0: And you've probably seen it too, and I know I've seen it a ton in my career. You walk in and you can immediately spot the people that have already checked out. You know what I mean? Like they're there mm. and they're collecting a paycheck and they're doing a job, but they've already checked out. And by checked out, I mean they're not giving it everything they could. They're not pushing themselves to that next level. They're certainly not giving a hundred percent. They're doing the bare minimum. And you know, we we all catch a lot of flack lately, it seems, because they say, well, the young people and the new the new techs and stuff, they don't want to give a hundred percent. I every time I do shop owners give
1: a hundred percent? I mean, what? I know some shop owner is gonna flip his over his chair right now for me saying that, but well, so is, is the shop owner giving me the 100% tools I need
0: so to get the job done? Mario, the guy that you were essentially running his store for him that came in at like 11 o'clock and would go home at 3, do you think he was given 100%? I don't think 100% of what? Yeah. <laughs> but th- if that was his 100%, that's pretty pathetic, right? <laughs> And certainly yeah, not somebody bad. that would would should be able to tell somebody else that what is their hundred percent, you know, and I'm not talking about hours in, I'm talking about like, how much effort are you putting towards the business every day? You know, I think
1: sometimes... And I get it. If he's, if he's out there marketing, bringing more cars in, this and that, but, you know, when you have me on a certain compensation and then I take on more responsibility yes. and as a result of that, I have to pay for it, then what that doesn't make any sense yeah. that does not make any sense so that doesn't work for me so and the
0: idea no. that they would tell somebody that they don't need to buy a scope or they don't need to buy a tool or they don't need to take a training course why would you do that why would you do this like i i don't myself understand that mentality and you know i i i've worked for for shop owners that you know when when you say to them well like can we sign up for some training this year they go, I'll have to think about it. like it costs a lot of money, and you know, like, and I'm looking at it. Please,
1: oh, it's a write-off.
0: Oh, I know, I know, I know, <laughs> but you know,
1: now what's even scarier is if they don't know it's a write-off.:
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but again, how how much money do some people invest in their accountants or their bookkeepers right? we could We could go down a whole thing of where they do you hire the cheapest one for that, right? And then that person maybe doesn't even know. How much money that you've spent on something in your business that you could get back? Right, they don't even know. You just hire somebody that comes in and makes sure, for all intents and purposes, that you know you're you're getting the bills paid. Well,
1: right, just just the bare minimum.
0: Whoop-dee-doo, right?
1: Yeah, they're not actively looking. you can't expect a CPA of like the minimum requirements to look out for your business and tailor their services to your needs Mm -hmm. especially in the automotive which has so it's extremely volatile it's everywhere there's so many moving parts it takes a, a particular kind of cpa to know exactly what a shop needs uh not only today but you know when you get past a certain level when you get past a certain amount of uh revenue how do you keep that going because you could get the, the regular old cpa that will just get you by or you could get the cpa that says well if you do this if you keep going this route you can you know maximize this way and you can go this route and this is a, this is a write-off you can uh, expand here you could do that and they they guide you through it mm-hmm. but it's the same thing with technicians i mean do you want somebody who could just um do the bare minimum require zero training and get you by or do you want somebody that can see through to the end what if you i'll give you an example what if you disconnect a battery to do a starter on a jaguar and the bcm corrupts what are you going to do then you don't have anybody in the house that knows how to do it so how to fix it or you're gonna to have to go buy a new bcm oh you don't really have to go buy a new bcm how would you know that did you get trained no you didn't get trained so you have to go buy a new bcm yeah. you see what i'm saying like yeah you save money by getting training yeah. You know, you save a lot of money by getting training.
0: Yeah. And that's even, you save money. And then if you get enough training and you enable your people properly, you make even more money.
1: Right? Exactly.
0: Because it's not just about what the mistakes that they don't make, it's the work that they're able to do on top of not making mistakes. And that's how we truly start to make money. Yeah. So you could look at it and go, oh, well, training prevents this. You know, like I, you know, I'm thinking of, of, okay, going on training, you know, helps the guy, you know, he does a rear brake job and it's got electronic parking brakes and he doesn't corrupt the module because he knows that he has to go and get this tool in order to do it. That training helped that. Exactly. If all of a sudden he understands the system very well and he applies it to other things and, uh, you know, you're able to market that and go, well, he just doesn't know this make and model. He knows all like what you do. He's a specialist in a European line, all of them. It's not just like he's somewhat familiar with BMW. He does BMW. He does Mercedes. He does Land Rover. He does Jaguar. He does Porsche. He does Audi. He does like, he does it all. Well, that all costs a lot to train, you know, a technician like yourself. But it, essentially, how many jobs do you have to say, no, we can't do that? Well, almost none, because we have the person in the back that we've tasked and trained to do it. Well, that's a money maker all day long. That's like having a winning racehorse, is the way I see it. Right? So, yeah, exactly. You know,
1: and and preventative is not. I mean, sometimes preventative training that will prevent you from losing money sometimes saves you more money than what you could get by being more efficient, in my opinion, because certain things just because you took that class you you prevented a huge loss a huge loss so and that stuff adds up real quick with euros
0: oh i can so i i don't even yeah there's a reason i don't you know (laughs) if i never have to work on one i'm i'm it's not gonna hurt my feelings at all if somebody says oh you might not be the guy to work on that mercedes Hey, I'm totally comfortable with that, boss. Like, you know, I'm I'm good with that. I just, it's it. They they, it's they just loom over me. You know what I mean? I, I guess I see more of the horror stories than the than the the stuff that goes well. So it always looms in the back. The
1: profitable jobs? It could be it could be pretty profitable to work on euros. So yeah, I, yeah, you do euros do get a lot of bad rap, but uh, I will say this: um, everyone's following along. Mm-hmm. So what you're, what what a technician might be avoiding by not working on euros today, they're gonna be confronted with in any way down yeah. the line. So yeah, really, just you're just um, kind of prolonging the inevitable. To to those who just with all that they have, they they want to avoid euros. I, that's what I would say to them. Uh, a lot of people ask me why why what made you want to go to euros. I feel like if I'm gonna get anywhere. I might as well just tackle it. Screw it. Embrace the suck like Dusty would say. Yeah. yeah. I embraced the suck. I was like, you know, euros are hard. Yes. I'm going to get my ass kicked, but it may pay off. So I just, you know, I, I jumped in and I got my ass kicked, but it, it does pay off. So uh, I, I would encourage anybody who who who's a technician, you know, consider taking on some euros. It's it's a very fine line. How how important is the tooling, Mario, for
0: you to say that, that that you would encourage the technicians, but can you, can you say like, is there a minimum tooling that they should have before you could say that you could competently tackle?
1: Oh, it's a lot of special tools, but it really depends on what kind of shop uh, we're talking about because there's like our shop. We do get timing jobs that we have the, the, the special tools. Yes. Mm -hmm. But we get more electrical stuff than anything else. Right. And if you can nowadays, like with Mercedes, even if you want to change the window motor, Mm -hmm. you got to SC encode it. And, uh, everything is becoming serialized. Everything's becoming so that you cannot swap it. You can't do that swap game, you know, uh, so easily anymore. So it's going to become even worse. Um,
0: now do you think and your shop like- is getting a ton of the electrical stuff on the Mercedes because of you?
1: Mm no. No, this shop already had a great reputation with Mercedes like I think more than 50% of all cars are already Mercedes and uh uh I would say that's because of the shop owner he's uh, and and uh my coworker Herb um they've They've done so much Mercedes throughout the years. I mean, this shop has been around longer than I have been alive. Okay. I would say that the shop owner has a really great reputation in our community. And we get a lot of work from other shops. And and the thing about Mercedes owners is that they they spread the word. Right. (laughs) They spread the word. So once somebody's like, oh, you work on Mercedes? Where do you where do you take it? Uh take it over here. That's where they're gonna go. And same thing with Porsche owners. They they're very like they find out somebody's like proficient with them, they will take it there. Now that's when it gets scary because there's there's moments you could run into an issue where it's like, oh crap, I haven't seen this one before. This car is so new that like, wow, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's really no information. So it, it can't it, you, it's a very Slippery slope, sort of okay. speak, on, on what kind of work you're taking in. So, um, it's always good to have a network so that you can reach out to people and say, "Hey, listen, you know, I haven't run into this, but I, I'm considering it. Can you give me a heads up as to what I might run into here?" Um, that really helps. And you know, training like Justin Morgan for BMWs, you know, uh, the, there's there's training all over the place. It's just it takes a little bit of looking. But there's a lot of training, and, and I, I encourage everyone to now, go and take you, those classes.
0: You put up a video a little while ago, I think, and it was um, a misfire on a Ram truck. I think you put up a video. The Ram. It might have been a – I thought it was a Dodge truck. But I remember – I mean, I worked on it, yeah. It was definitely a domestic. And I was watching the video, and it. I don't want to say it was that old, and it's not really that important, but, I mean, it was like – I was like, wow, Mario's <laughs> working on a domestic. I wouldn't have expected that. I want to say it was a misfire or it was a, it might've been a misfire fuel system trim DTC or something like that. But, uh, what's, um,
1: what. Yeah, I did, I did work on, yeah, is yeah that... I did work. I, I do still work on domestics and, and imports too.
0: And they come into your shop.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely i guess a lot of people i guess i didn't really make it a point to say it but uh, i tell people now like you know i euros are kind of new to me i um didn't have all that much experience before i came to this shop this shop really took it like to another level for me right uh which i'll always be grateful for so yeah i did have a gmc yukon misfire and whatnot
0: i think i saw that one too yeah but i know this was a dodge because it was like I th- I can't remember what you're doing, but I'm like, okay, I know exactly where he's headed with this because been there before. What's a what's an easy job for you? What is like? What do you what do you? I mean, because I know you enjoy the challenge, but what is it? Is something hands what to you is like a real gravy ticket? A gravy
1: ticket, yeah. as in high hours, or just like a very efficient diag?
0: Just a efficient diag or something that like you you enjoy doing if you could do that say you know you'd hear some guys talk about well if i could do like you know volkswagen water pumps all day long i would i would love doing them what's you know
1: this is kind of new for me um i used to say that about certain things but i'm starting to work more on teslas okay and i know it gets a lot of pushback but the info is there a lot of the info is wrong but <laughs> the the info is there and I'm starting, it's starting to grow on me and I'm like, it's cleaner.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: they're still new. Obviously they're, they're not as dirty yet, but they, they will be, but they're starting to grow on me. But I think the ones that I enjoy the most are the ones that, not a lot of people can do right. Okay, <laughs> those are the ones i enjoy the most to be honest with you and i run into those every now and then when i when i'm able to like go to a component level and um and i know that not just any shop can do it you know so th- that's what i really enjoy about it and uh <clears throat> it, it is nice because it, the customers come out of the woodwork and say well hey you fixed this so I need you to fix mine now.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So it is, it is pretty nice. So, uh, I'm starting to like a lot of the immobilizer related stuff. Okay. Immobilizer systems and all that. So, uh, things of that nature. Um,
0: do you find yourself getting but for like, a lot of what they, you know, we've heard the term sometimes lately, like hero cars, like where, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and yeah don't... we get flood cars and we get all that stuff
0: and you're not bothered by those
1: oh yeah of course oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah it does it does get to you because you know <clears throat> you don't want to be a tech of little value right right you want to you want to be valuable to your company
2: mm-hmm.
1: you can only do that if it if the job is profitable right. it takes a lot more work takes a lot more CYA, a lot more documentation to deal with these hero cars and a lot of foresight too, because uh, you have to start attacking it in the sense of, uh, of phases. You know, oh, we got this card, the bus is down. Uh, it's been sitting for a long time and it's been flooded. Oh. You have to start writing stuff like, okay, the bus is down. Let's address that first. It's been sitting a while. The engine doesn't start. Then we have to write. I don't know what we're going to find mm-hmm. once that bus is up. Yeah. I don't know what's going to com- communicate. Right. And then let's say I ran into that. I, pu- I actually put it into Scanner Diner Premium. I had a hero car and I put the whole process there. Um, first, it was the junction box, then the key, then the, 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 the DME, then the starter. Yeah. And uh, misfires. I mean, every step of the way, there was something. So that's, that's that actually teaches, like, I would say that one of the positives about these hero cars is that you start to gain a perspective as to what is it going to need? What am I going to find when I do fix this part, mm-hmm. this, this particular phase that, we're on, that we are? So we fix a communication problem. We don't know what's going to communicate. There may be modules that don't communicate. I just ran into one today. We, it was a powertrain bus down, fix the powertrain bus. Then no comms with the 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 DME, okay. so, and then once we do have comms with the DME, I don't know how the this engine, if this engine is going to crank or not, and if it does crank, I don't know how it's going to run. Uh, once it does run, I don't know if it's going to make any noises. I yes. don't know if it's going to make uh, have any misfires, yeah. and then once we do get it running without misfires, I don't know how it's going to go down the road. Is right. it going to steer one way? Is it going to break? Is the caliper frozen? Is, is it going
0: to shift? You know, yeah.
1: Yeah, so you you start writing down this whole tree of possibilities because nowadays you got to cover your, your ass so hard mm-hmm. that if you don't write it down, that well, well what kind of mechanic are you? Is it's not? I'm not saying that the shop is saying this; they're not saying this. But that's what we've come down to, where everything is is so um, people are, people are asking questions now. People want to know. They're not just saying, "Okay, that's what it is." All right, whatever you say, it is. That's what it is. Yeah. That those days are over. Customers want to be informed, yeah. um, so documentation is huge, and also you know the possible, uh, foreseeable issues that we might run into once we fix each part mm-hmm. uh, we get through. Oh, but the car wasn't wasn't running like this before that. That you're always going to hear that, yeah. and
0: it was that's, that's the risk. Yeah, it ran good before it was parked and flooded. You know what I mean? Yeah, for five years. And then for five years, nobody did anything with it, right? So, yeah. Do you find that it's so, I guess then, you're not paid flat rate. You're not, uh, are you any any kind of incentivized at all? Or is it just you show up, you know, when you work for X amount of hours, you're going to clear this much. And does that kind of keep your head in a good spot so that you can work towards solving these kind of, you know, nightmare problems? hero cars. Cause I'd have to think like, I know how I am with my, my attitude that even if I was, if I had any kind of incentivized at all and, and I had these kind of nightmare cars, it's still going to affect my thought process into when I'm going to necessarily pull the trigger, right? How much time I'm going to invest into the diag of trying to get to the root of the problem. You know what I mean? Because I'm going to think like I'm 95% sure after 60 minutes, to be 100% sure would take me another hour, right? And that's how I, my brain works is like, do I to get five more percent, do I spend that other hour? Whereas how does it work for you?
1: That's a great question. I actually took a while for somebody to actually ask me that. Well, I mean, that's what <laughs> all the All the people I talk to, they, they, don't, they don't ask. <laughs> I'm not on flat rate. I was at a certain point in on an incentivized plan mm-hmm. uh, based on production. And when I was presented with that, uh, yeah, deep down inside, you can't help but think, well, you know what? Maybe I should take more, more money home and this and that. You can't help, but, you know, be lured in by that, that, that possibility. But <clears throat> I know myself. If I, if I get into that, I will become the biggest asshole of all time <laughs> because, no, you're not touching that car yeah. and I'm just going to get everything. That's, that's, that's what flat rate does to me. And, yeah. and you know, uh, sure. It might not be true for everyone, but that's no, what I, I was the same flat way. Does to me.
0: Because I used to sit there and say, you know, well, if that guy across the bay for me, if he's going to have a comeback on it and I'm not, then he can sit on his, bench and i'll do all the work right because i don't like the whole idea that this is a team sport or this is a team environment i understand where they get that from but i mean when we're as soon as you bring incentivized in i want all the work right if what i'm what i'm good at what i'm tasked to do i want all of it because i'm in control of it then nobody else in my partner my guy across the bay from me if he does it and, and it and it has a comeback and we all then don't get a bonus at the end of the month or we all get a shit CSI score, we all get a, you know, uh, we don't hit a goal, I'm mad. I'm, I'm pissed mm-hmm. because I feel like I hold myself to such a standard that I want to be in control, which means I want all the work so that I can control all the variables, yeah. right? Because otherwise, I don't want to get in trouble for what he's doing right as a team. I hate that. Like, it'd be like, you know, the team didn't win the cup. You got a guy that rode the bench, the whole game, the coach shouldn't, (laughs) he shouldn't need to be there when the coach is being yelled at, when the coach is yelling at everybody. Right. He's not responsible. He had nothing to do with it. Let him go. That's the way I always felt when in any kind of place was like my dealership days. If I'm, and I'm, I'm not pleased. I'm not saying I'm perfect. Nobody is. But I was just cranked up all the time when we talked about CSI, we talked about comebacks, and it's like, but you gave him, you know, you gave him Diag, and you know that he's not strong at it. So I would have worked, you know, seven in the morning until seven at night, six days a week if they'd have just fed me that steady diet of it because I could do it. I liked doing it. It made me money, and I did it right, and it didn't come back. But no, you want to give him some, most of it comes back, right? Now we're all getting in shit as a team. Like that, that stuff. So when I, when I, I can relate with what you're saying, where you want all the work, you're going to become an asshole <laughs> because I've been in the ex- exact same place, you know?
1: With some context. I mean, yeah, talking about directly, directly dictating what I can bring home to my family,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And I'm not going to let some somebody else get in the way of that. Not the parts guy. Yes. Not anybody. Yeah. You know. So, do you really want me on flat rate? I don't think anybody wants me on flat rate because I'm taking those cars. <laughs> and do you want me? Do you want me to spend all this time on diagonal? No, we're charging. We're charging for mm. a lot, for diag a lot. You know, we're charging what we need to charge. Oh, one hour. Oh. One hour diet charge? Menu pricing? No. No. Get that out of here. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're gonna do, then don't give me diet. Right. That's how I turn, that's what I turn into. And yeah. I don't like it. I don't like it. So I'd rather I'd much rather be on on, on my salary yeah. and be content with that, yeah. but growing in proficiency and, and technologically and staying up with the training. And 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 where where this industry is going, you know the hydrogen engines coming around. Mm -hmm. We got to stay on top of that. But if I'm I'm on flat rate, what do I care about electric cars? What do I care about this and that? I'm carrying, I care about the gravy jobs, and I care about bringing home as much as I can. At whatever it takes, you know. And I know some shop owners are probably like, "Well, that's what I want." No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. You're gonna have everybody choking each other. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's, oh, but well, my, my, not at my shop. My shop has a family atmosphere. Well, you know what, man? You're talking about directly cutting someone's pay based on production and nothing else. We're not talking about technical proficiency. We're not talking about, I know somebody's going to argue, oh, well, technical proficiency will result in production and this and that, but there's so much more that goes into production than just one thing or or just efficiency and just this and that. There's so much. It takes a lot
0: of billing goes into production. Proficiency is how smart you are, how well you do the job production.
1: Yeah. Workflow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Production is billing. I (laughs) (laughs) would, Right.
1: Yeah. I would be getting on everything like, Oh, well, I have to walk all the way over there to get this special tool. I have to do this. I have to go push a car in. I'm not going to pay for that. You want me to be on flat rate? You want me to be pr- producing? Then I'm going to be producing. So, you know, I'd rather do what I'm doing now. And anybody ask me for help, I'll help. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I get the headaches sometimes. I get some headaches of, uh, like, I mean, car-wise, like the, I guess some hero cars every now and then. And and I try my best, but you put me on flat rate. is just like, what incentive do I have to you know, go home and study a system that, you know, I'm probably going to see one time this year, Mm -hmm. you know, for this hero car or something, you know, yeah. there's just no incentive. And yeah, I guess that might look me, that might make me come off as like, well, then you're just, you're just motivated by money or you're just motivated by this or that. Look, in the end of the day, I gotta bring home something right I gotta bring home something for my family and if I can come home and not be stressed and hug my kids and have a smile on my face, a genuine smile without having to like tuck it all away uh that that means more to me than anything else, yeah and and I can still pay my bills and I can still get ahead in life i'm I'm good you know, but if you're talking about me risking myself um sticking my neck out and possibly earning less, you know, because let's be real. They're going to add, they'll add more responsibilities. I've already been through this with other flat rate shops. I went from producing only to like answering phones, to talking to customers, to this, to that. And then little by little, incrementally, they just start adding more and more tasks to Mm -hmm. dilute your production. So. Because it's it's a leverage thing,
0: right? (laughs) They leverage it against you. And they're taking yeah. advantage of you because you'd had the experience, like you'd said, from way back when of, of running the front counter when you were injured. You know, they'd look at it and they go, yeah. okay, he can do that. And, you know, I've been blessed most times that like because I either was strictly like flat rate and I never had to talk to anybody. Or if I worked in a shop, I was hourly and, you know, I, I talked to the customer for as long as it took for them to understand and feel comfortable yeah. with what we were doing for the car. And it wasn't like I was sitting there looking at my watch going, you know, because I can remember the days at the dealership and it'd be like, their customers trying to give you the rundown on what's wrong with the car. And, and you're like, looking yeah. at the watch going. Hey,
1: wrap it up, man. Wrap
0: it up. <laughs> you know, I got 10 more tickets I want to look at. <laughs> that's, today, right? The, the, and, yeah. and people look at us sometimes and it's like, that's a shit attitude. It's not a shit attitude. It's the same attitude that the advisor has right it's just the advice exactly can 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 go home that day and go well i only made my base today but you know i got a bunch of big jobs in the shop that are going to help with my bonus right whereas if we look at it and we go there's no base for me like i spent you know yeah exactly I, i went on five nightmare car test drives or looked at five nightmare cars and uh you know It was all safe. Say it's under warranty now, and we're not paying our tax under warranty for diag. That's another stupid thing. And so I got a bunch of parts ordered and a bunch of jobs coming up. But today I made zero. Right? I filled my my schedule, but today I made zero. Of course, then when I'm sitting there trying to get to Mrs. Smith, you know, listen to her and pretend to be nice, and you know, I got my shirt tucked in and my uniform's clean. You know, of course I'm going to look at my watch, going, "Okay, Mrs. Smith, like let's ramp this up because." You know, I'm trying to salvage it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Wrap this up and let's go. I got money to make <laughs> yeah. and I got kids to feed. Yeah. So, so that's that's how I saw it at least. And and uh, I hope I don't come across as a, like anti-flat-rate guy. No. It's not that. I've had ba- bad personal experiences, but I do think that there are shops that can make it work. They're just highly efficient shops, with very, uh, very well-oiled machine. And I think that that's what's required to have a successfully uh, – Run flat rate shop with, with happy technicians. Yeah, you know, and and it's not the norm. I've been saying it all over a million times. It's just not the norm. Uh, people say, "Oh, but my shop, everyone gets a hundred, twenty, thirty hours, fifty hours, two hundred hours a week." Yeah, that's you, mm-hmm. but that's not everyone. That's not all of us. That's not the majority. And people have to stop acting like it is. It's not the majority. Uh, the majority of shops are uh, starving uh, for, for they either have too many technicians for the, the, yeah. the workload that they have, or they're just, you know, sending them down the, down, down the road. Oh, I'll take it to the dealer, take it to this, take it to that. So, and then in the public's eye, Oh, well, nobody can really, who can work on my car? All these mechanics are dumb. That's what they think of us. So it's, a, it's a tricky balance. Are, are we going to be the convenience shop where the customer could just in and out you could wait ten minutes all the changes or are you going to be the shop that can actually be uh fix complex problems and you don't have to send that customer down the road a million times you know that you know how many times I hear customers say oh and I went to twenty different shops I went to 20 different guys and you're the only one that can do it and you're the only shop that could do it and that's one of the things that that my shop owner prides himself and he he wants that reputation and mm-hmm. and he's earned it but too many shops are just like sending it down the road. And then in the grand scheme of things, the the general public just looks at us as incompetent. So uh, what's more important? Should the industry look more competent and stop trying to produce at all costs? Or should we, should we cater to their convenience? That's, that's,
0: that's an awesome, that's an awesome question. And, And the way I feel about it is like, we have to get away from the the money has to be like, listen, we're not in business for, for feelings. We're in business to make money, right? But I mean, right. too many times we're worried about the feelings and it costs us money that we maybe could be investing back into the tooling or into the payroll of the people that work for us so that they can become more competent. So then we don't have so many feelings of already distrust before, you know, how it is like you first time customers there, they've had, they've got this nightmare problem. You know, they think you're number six of, you know, six shop that's looked at it. That's probably, they don't have a whole lot of faith in you is what I'm trying to say. Right. And so what I think we need to start to do is, is to a pick our battles. I've said that for years, right? If you don't think you're, you're tooled up or have the staff to be able to get to that nightmare problem, don't take it in. And that sucks. It's terrible. But I mean, if we start to do that, we start to realize that, okay, I need to either need to shift to where I only do X, Y, and Z because I don't have the tooling, right? So I'm back there struggling without the tooling. I'm, or you say, okay, I'm going to solve this car no matter what. Then I need to invest in tooling and I need to invest in talent. And those two things cost a lot of money. Now, if we're going to cost a whole lot of money to get to the bottom of this car or these types of cars, we need to stop thinking about feelings. I feel for that customer because they've spent money or they've been around and and we need to firstly make the job profitable so that we can get to the bottom of the problem because that's it. Like there's there's too many times where we're we're tackling things that we don't have the tooling for or we don't train our our staff because training's too much money. But then we we tackle these cars, and it's just this constant cycle of we didn't make any money on that job. Well, how do we make money on the next job? Well, we hope that it comes in and it's like, okay, I remember that. It's the exact same scenario, exact same problem, right? We don't have to go through all that headache. That's how a dealership works, Mario, is because it's like the first one that you ever see, and it's like it kicks your tail. And then you go, all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you go, that's the same code that was caused by the same rotten splice right down here in the wiring harness. And you immediately go there first, you find it, you fix it, problem's done. All that time and wasted time, you don't do it anymore. That works in a dealership. Outside of the dealership environment, you may never see that kind of exact symptom again in that car again. But this is where the difference is, is that everybody thinks, well, I lost on this one, but we'll make it up on the next one the next one may never come in, right? So in the aftermarket, need to change our way of thinking to where it's like, I need to invest really big in tooling and really big in payroll so that my people can be very good at getting to the problem with a process the first time, accurately solving the problem out the door. Not, okay, we tried X, Y, and Z and it didn't fix it. The final bullet that we fired of the cannon, was what fixed the car. We didn't charge her for all the other time and everything else, and that's great, but we didn't make any money on it. We need to stop not making money, right? And then when we do make
1: money. Yeah, no, stop subsidizing repairs.
0: Yes, yes. And that's, that's a tricky thing because it's like you don't want to be cold and callous, and I don't right. think it is cold and callous to say. I think it's, it's much more respectable you know, to be able to to say to somebody, and I think that they should respect you. You say, "Listen, we're not your shop for that, or we don't have a guy that you know. I don't feel like I have the tooling that can get to the bottom of your your programming issue or your or your whatever on your on your car. But I do know a person that is. Let me give you his number or their number, and you do that. I think that is way better." than some of these hero cars that we are all getting into. And I'm not saying, listen, if you want to tackle it and you want to get to the bottom of a pride, I'm not hating on you for that. But we have to realize then that it's the tech that is doing it. Don't grill the tech about the time that it took. Don't grill the tech. Just thank the tech, pat him on the back, her, and say, great job, man, that is impressive. I'm, I'm impressed to hell that you got to the bottom of that. And don't judge them on the time, judge them on what they were able to do. You know, that's how we, that's how we. I wish, I wish it would be like that.
1: And you make a a good point. It's a, is it competition versus community? Yes. Uh, Yes. We've been so busy competing with each other that we're not willing to share a number. We're not willing to share another shop's number, um, or or the, ta- the only time that you really would share someone else's number is if you don't want that job. And that's, like I said, in the end of the day, the public will just distrust us. Mm-hmm. And if we keep feeding them, we keep conditioning them to convenience, then all they want is the fastest shop possible and they're going to end up with shops that can only do nominal jobs. Not anything in debt, not anything... Uh, profound so we're really conditioning the customers to get used to a bunch of drive-through shops that's i don't think that's the way to go to be honest with you and maybe the answer is specialization i don't know but definitely training is involved um but yeah for sure i think we just got to take a little more pride in what we do and i'm not saying i'm perfect or anything but i just i do think that um we got to step it up Mm-hmm. and and think think of the big picture as well because uh, we can all benefit from having a better a better reputation as an industry yeah. you know and unfortunately we we've earned ourselves a, a pretty bad reputation and and it's going to take a lot of work to undo that but it's not going to happen if we don't work together yeah. if we keep if we keep if we keep competing uh i get it it's business you got to make money right but how much more money would you make with a public that trusts more shops that isn't such in such a hurry for everything that you cannot make a mistake? You're on the edge of perfection, is what you're living on. How long will it take to diagnose my problem? I guarantee you that thing will be fixed today. Aren't you riding on the edge of perfection there? Like, what if one mistake happens? Then what? What if the what if you can't even get the part? So just think, we, we need a little more cushion. We need a little more trust, and that's not going to happen by being so ultra-competitive. Uh, it's going to take a little more community and a lot more networking.
0: More transparency, for sure. All of that, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's going to take a lot of work, but
0: so I think we can do it. You're excited about AST. You're going to go, and you said you're going to take it just – you're taking mostly business classes when you go this time.
1: Yeah. yeah I'm not a financially – literate guy <laughs> so I, I might as well start sharpening up on that yeah I, I was never you know schooled on financial literacy so i think it's time i'm right there and, uh, maybe it'll yeah
0: I'm maybe right it'll
1: it'll help my perspective yeah it's good yeah you're gonna take some business classes too
0: i mean i i, I took cecils last year and then there was um uh, somebody was going to be doing a leadership class last year and it was, I can't remember who was supposed to be teaching it. Maybe Mr. Morton. And, um,
1: there, there's a tax class too. That's might be worth looking into, you know?
0: Yeah. And, um, I wanted to take the leadership. Oh i will
1: oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: Uh, I wanted to take the leadership and I wanted to take the business. And I know I wanted the leadership classes ended up being canceled because of somebody wasn't able to make it for, because of the hurricane last year. So I'm hoping that uh, no hurricanes this year so that everybody can arrive. I'm going to pop in on Oscar's class for a few minutes. I'm looking forward to that. Brendan Dill's class. I want to pop in on Jim Kakonis, Uh I'm going to pop in on him. So I'm actually recording with him on. There's so, a lot of good names. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fantastic. I'm excited to see it. I got, I'm excited to see you when we get there we'll try to sit down and have a meal or a beer or something. And, um, you know, this has been, this has been awesome. This has been really good, Mario. I was, this is one I want to record for a long, long time because, you know, I got a ton of respect for you. And, uh, you know, like I said, I owe you. It's because of your episode that, like I said, at the very beginning of this, that I, that I stepped out there and said, okay, well, you know, if Mario, interviews with David and Lucas then I want to do that and um you know it's changed my directive and I mean you know we need a whole lot more text with your kind of work ethic and your kind of drive to to improve constantly right like that's what I take away from this talk tonight is that you know you you have that thirst that most don't and um it's it's remarkable to see and I hope that it never ever ever burns out for you because I mean there's no like I said to Oscar it's the same thing there's no ceiling for you I've never seen it yet you know and um, for somebody to say like oh that you're you're nothing that special dude you're when you see oh, the other people in the industry and I, I mean you've seen the people I've interviewed and the people that I talk to and stuff like that they would all laugh at the idea that when they say that you're not special if there's probably anybody that say, thinks that you know It'd be you. I mean, to think that 10 years ago, you started work in a tire plus, and now you're at the level that you're at, it's, it's nothing short of amazing. Nothing short of amazing. So
1: I appreciate the kind words, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to meeting you again over there in uh, AST. I'm actually going to go with my twin brother, Martin, and uh, oh, the shop owner is
0: going to go too. That is awesome, then, because i was I was going to ask about him, but we didn't get to that, but I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool because I've got a twin too now. he doesn't I mean him and I are I mean, we're identical twins, but we have nothing, not really any other interest in common at all. He you know <laughs> he 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 can put washer fluid in it and fuel, and that's about it when it comes to vehicle. The rest has no interest in him at all. But I mean, I was, that was something that's so that, funny. Yeah. Cause I wanted to see the, the dynamic between you and your brother. I was going to, that's going to be cool to see how that is. If, the, if, how you guys are different, cause I think you guys are different, but I mean, there's probably some, a lot, a lot of things that are the same. And I'm I'm jazzed to see that. So I want to thank you for being on tonight. I won't take you any more time from your from your beautiful family. So, but uh, I appreciate you sitting down with us and telling your story. It was a good one. So. And
1: uh, I appreciate you having me, and uh, can't wait to uh, to see you guys. Um, and uh, hopefully, uh, I, I, I truly wish the best for this podcast and for your for your career too, man. Because we've we've spoken in the past, we've come a long way, and uh, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, I like what you're doing. I like what you're doing with this podcast. It's it's an easy listen. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's my top my top one along with the, uh, the CPA guy from, uh, the aftermarket radio, CPA. those, yeah. um, hunt. Oh yeah. You, you got to look them up. Yeah. Hunt. Yeah. Great. listens. um,
0: I appreciate that. Cause I mean, it's, you know, we don't, we don't come on here and try to be, you know, anything too, too regimented or anything too, you know, we don't come in here and hammer a particular topic. Right. I want to. I want yeah people, for sure I want people to get to know you and and any of the guests that get on that's what this is about is shining light on on people that are are groundbreaking in our industry people that are are setting the kind of example of what we all want that's what the whole point of this podcast is. I just get to nerd out on the people that are like really groundbreaking people really you know stellar examples of what we're trying to be all of us should be and that's 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 how i you know. That's how I want to pick the guests. That's how I want people to come on and and be able to say, "Well, Mario did that in ten years, and you know, that's amazing." And then be able to go, "Well, if he did it, then why can't I do it?" You know, and that doesn't matter. Yeah, the training is there. Yeah, exactly. The training,
1: the training is there. The resources are there, and I'm not. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but. Um, oh. Like Eric O would say, "If I could do it, you could That's do it exactly yeah, yeah, I'm not a smart guy, so I just get my ass kicked a lot, <laughs> so repetition, write it down, make an index, make the notes, pay attention if it if this if if any newcomers to this industry is listening, uh, stick with it, and don't let nobody." tell you anything different. And That's if right. they do, well, they don't know any better. That's right. You just got to make your own future. You know, it's all, it's, it's in your hands. It's, it's what you make of it. So.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a great, a great time. And, uh, I hope to do it again.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'll see you in 21 days. I'm excited. <laughs> Let's yeah, come fast. Eh? Awesome. Three weeks, man. Three weeks. Hey, if you could do me a favor real quick and like comment on and share this episode, I'd really appreciate it. And please, most importantly, set the podcast to automatically download every Tuesday morning. As always, I'd like to thank our amazing guests for their perspectives and expertise. And I hope that you'll please join us again next week on this journey of change. Thank you to my partners in the ASAR group and to the Changing the Industry podcast. Remember what I always say, in this industry, you get what you pay for. Here's hoping everyone finds their missing 10 millimeter, and we'll see you all again next time.